Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited for today's episode. Today's guest is a ProSize certified change practitioner who has had the privilege and experience of working both for and with some of Australia's most iconic brands. She is Microsoft certified in Power Platform Fundamentals and currently works as a global black belt modern work specialist in Microsoft's Frontline Worker Group. Please welcome to the program, Sally Fay. Sally, really happy to have you with us today. Hey, Jane. Uh, glad to be with you today. Great. So, you know, I know you've probably listened to our show before, and I think, you know, we like to kind of lead off with kind of the, the, a big overarching question, and that is, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today? Yeah, I think it's, that's a great question and a big one to start with. I think it's as simple as being understood. So it's having people understand the work that they do, uh, the environment that they do it in, the tools and processes they need to do their work today, um, but also how their role fits in the broader ecosystem of an organisation because these are the people that are making the products for a customer, they're transporting them, they're serving their customers. They're a really incredibly important group of people. But I think it's important to also remember that first and foremost, they are people. And they, they, they need to be understood as, I think, multifaceted. There's a number of elements to this. But it really starts with how do you best communicate with these people? Um, you know, what are, what are their actual communication needs? Uh, we know that there are considerable challenges with things like language and literacy and then there's hidden and situational disabilities that come into play as well. So maybe someone's dyslexic or they work in a particularly noisy environment, so they can't actually hear when they're at work um, or for big chunks of the time that they're at work. So these things can really sort of complicate and, and add complexity to how you actually engage and communicate with them. And I think one of the things that the pandemic has really exposed, you know, we've seen this huge focus on frontline workers since the pandemic. Um, but one of the things that I think has been particularly sort of exposed and amplified during this time is just how heavily so many organisations have relied on cascading information through chains of command. And so it's very much a, a verbal, um, written, one-way style communication, which I think we've, we've long acknowledged that that verbal cascading of information isn't terribly effective. You know, messages have the ability to be... Um, uh, massaged or perhaps slightly you know just a slight twist to what the initial or original message was intended to be not not intentionally just but by the retelling of stories mm. you know if I tell you a story and you tell someone else a story it changes slightly so I think given that that's been disrupted I think it's actually highlighted you know some of those real challenges and the fact that it's been very much a um, a one-way communication and, and how can you really understand these people what they need and and what's actually going to improve the way they do things if you can't communicate with them effectively and I think the other thing that comes into play when we think about them being understood is especially when you go to change something that the, the magnitude of a frontline workforce can greatly amplify you know the change challenge in that you know if you're looking at the ratios and they vary between industry. If you take something like retail, you might have 10,000 people working in the corporate function. You might have 100,000 or 120,000 people actually working out in the stores and distribution mm. environment. So that magnitude becomes you know, greatly amplified as well when you start to go and change something on top of do you actually have an effective communication channel open to these people? So I think that understanding of their environment becomes really, really important and how do we try and engage there? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And, and I love how you kind of bring it back to, you know, to me, it's all about that empathy for the worker, right? And, and I think you got to the heart of that with, with understanding them. Uh, you know, my co-host for the podcast, Justin Lake, a skillful CEO, you know, it was funny before the pandemic, uh, he had written an article 
you know, uh, and, and coin termed with this term, the invisible workforce, right? Which is the frontline workers are often the invisible workforce. They're around us constantly. They're the people who are stocking shelves, making deliveries that we tend not to recognize are there. But as you said, they're this vast workforce um, that unfortunately went unnoticed for a long time. Now, I do think, as you said, I think the pandemic changed that quite a bit, right? Um, because I think we all realize the impacts to things like the supply chain and, and everything else. Well, it impacted those individuals and the impact to those individuals then impacted everyone. Um, so I think it's, you know, your, your point about the amplification uh, certainly, you know, kind of resonates, uh, you know, I, I think now, especially, um, you know, and, and how, what, you know, how, how do you think the pandemic has kind of changed things from a frontline worker perspective? I think there's um, some really noticeable changes, you know, in certain industries, you know, healthcare, for example, there's been such a, I guess, a threat to the person as well. And I think we see this in, in some of the essential retail, you know, even people working in mm. um, grocery stores and supermarkets, you know, they're, they're exposed, they're out in public and you know, people won't wear masks and those sorts of things. So they can actually feel like an actual threat to their person um, by actually just going to, to work. And then there's all those sort of concerns about, well, am I taking this home to my family? So in, in certain industries, I think that threat or that that sort of uh, pandemic experience has been one to you know a threat to personal well-being um, there are other industries where the again depending on where you are in the world perhaps your industry has been closed down so you might actually have been furloughed um, so there's obviously heightened anxiety about you know when can you go back to work can you go to work do you need to get a different job like what are your options you've still got to you know maintain life um, with you know all the things that come with unfortunately being an adult and having to pay bills and those sorts of things so they can there's I think for many people working in frontline roles it's been all this sort of additional pressure either because you're in a, an environment where you feel that you are actually at risk or you are actually not able to work and that in itself comes with a whole lot of concerns for what's your next option and, and and where do you go from here so I think it's it's really sort of highlighted for many organizations that you know, the well-being of the employee is super important. And, you know, certainly we do a lot where we look at, you know, the, the knowledge workers and there's lots of challenges about being on lots of different you know, video calls all day and the fatigue that we all feel and having to try and work at home, balance life and those sorts of things. But you're in a nice, safe little bubble. Like you you can you can work from home. Most, you know, most information workers have been able to maintain that. Many frontline workers are either in the direct line of the public, which is a personal threat, or they actually can't go to work, which means you know potentially they're not getting paid. So I think there's some real challenges there. Again, a lot for the actual well-being of the person um, that we need to consider about how it's impacting them. Yeah, I think it's very important to recognize that these workers just don't have that luxury. The luxury many of us do, and the irony, of course, is the, is that you know we we tend not to have the communications infrastructure, the technology infrastructure in a place in, in, in many ways to serve them as we do serve the knowledge workers. I mean, I loved how you kind of talked about the game of telephone that I think about it, right? When we're trying to kind of communicate with our frontline, right? Too often it's, it's done in an ad hoc manner. Uh, too often we don't really have a great mechanism to communicate, to reach our frontline workers where they are. And, um, and I think that, you know, to me is one of those things that I think a lot of organizations are now recognizing is, okay, maybe we've overlooked this for, for too long. Very much so. And I think what, what certainly what we're seeing um, here in Australia and New Zealand, it's sort of the area that I focus on, is we're also both two countries where we've we've had to, show, or we've been able to um, close our borders. And that's had implications for workforce because we, we do rely on a lot of migrant workers and with borders, international borders essentially closed for you know, nearly 18 months now, you know, that's actually having an impact on the workforce as well. And we're seeing a lot of movement, you know, from either industries that have been closed, they're now trying to open, but they've they've had to furlough people, they've gone off and found other things to, to employ themselves with. There's, there's lots of, I think, um, disruption in those frontline roles that we're going to sort of feel for quite some time, I think, as, as we go, you know, as we continue to come out the other side of the pandemic, if we're coming out the other side. 
Yeah. And, you know, so you mentioned, I mentioned in, in your introduction, you know, you've worked with Australian, uh, some of the most prestigious Australian brands. Obviously, I think most people can tell by your accent that you are, you know, not an American and you've kind of referenced where you are. So I'd love to talk a little bit about you, uh, understand a little bit about your background. Um, I think everyone knows Microsoft, so we probably don't have to explain who Microsoft is. But I certainly would love to kind of hear a little bit more about what you're doing, what your role is, um, and the frontline worker group, because um, obviously it's, it seems like a much bigger focus for Microsoft these days. But let's first, I want to start with your title, Global Black Belt, because it's, it sounds like a pretty badass title. So what does that mean in the world of Microsoft? Oh, look, it gives me some great uh, conversation starters with people when they're like, exactly what do you do? They sort of expect a little bit of Kung Fu or something, <laughs> which that's not me. Uh, but our global black belt role is a specialist function. And we are, if you like, a, a halfway between our field roles and our product and commercial teams. So in my particular case, we look at uh, frontline, well, I look at frontline workers and really focus on their unique uh, needs and, and use cases, the challenges that they have. And the, what, what we do with our field teams is help them understand what those challenges are so they can engage with their customers. But at the same time, it's a very important uh, listening mechanism. What are we seeing? What are we hearing you know, in terms of the way that we're developing our products and services? Are they meeting our customer needs or are there things that we need to build into the roadmap, for example, capability, features, you know, we get a lot of, oh, it'd be great if it would do this. That's a brilliant idea, particularly when we start to hear the same things over and over. So this role is one that uh, we talk about incubating new services. And, and you're right, Microsoft have got a really big focus on frontline workers. Um, the Microsoft mission is to empower every person organization on the planet to achieve more. That every person part is really important. I think we've long serviced the knowledge worker. We're pretty familiar about what are the challenges. We spend a lot of time researching, you know, collaboration and teamwork and, and how does that work within the confines of an office and even, you know, across geographies and, and those um, types of environments. But if we're really going to empower everybody, we need to be thinking about all those frontline workers, you know, there are billions of them on the planet. So how are we, you know, helping our organizations include everybody? Because so many um, customers, organizations, they talk about digital transformation, but if they're not including everyone, um, which is the people in their front lines, are they truly, you know, achieving their transformational aspirations by, you know, leaving potentially the biggest part of their workforce behind? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, you kind of, you know, you made mention, I think everybody thinks about Microsoft and certainly the knowledge worker. And, um, you know, that's been traditionally the, the sweet spot. Right. Um, and I imagine it's, it's a challenge for, for the organization to kind of think, say, okay, how do we address this entirely new segment? That is an extraordinary large segment that you talked about. Is, is that the role of the frontline worker team essentially to kind of say, okay, we've got to think differently about this segment. Yeah, very much. And I think one of the one of the things that I certainly observe with the organizations that I engage with is it's 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 a challenge for our customers as well. So they are sitting here thinking, you know, um, really common to see different parts of an organization try and tackle a problem from their perspective where the audience is going to be the same. And, you know, there's lots and lots of point and niche solutions out there. If you're thinking about, you know, how do I do um, time management, you know, scheduling mm -hmm. and rostering, you know, great stack of tools that are out there. If you're thinking about how do you do workflow, work process type stuff, again, lots of tools out there that you can choose from. How do you even just do baseline communication so that you can talk to them and they can talk to each other? You know, lots of shadow IT happening there and all the risks that go with that. So I think what we're doing collectively, you know, the customers that we're dealing with are trying to sort this problem out because if you've got what we commonly see is if you've got like 10, 15, 20 different applications by the time you throw in the line of business apps that they need to use, that can become an incredibly fragmented experience, mm -hmm. which, you know, coming from a, a change practitioner perspective, that's that's a real issue. You know, where do I go for this? How do I do that? That like that that experience can be really, really broken because it doesn't, you know, the things don't talk together. And so what we see with organizations is if they're trying to solve niche little parts of a problem, you know, maybe it's the operations team want to change something versus the way the, the comms and people engagement are sort of coming at that problem. So from a Microsoft perspective, we're really 
um, helping aggregate what are all those different use cases and, and how can you do it in a way that you can actually deliver an experience to the mm. employee that is intuitive and customised to what they need based on what their role is. You know, it's not uncommon for one organisation to have multiple different frontline personas and I'm not just talking about you know frontline worker and frontline manager you know you might have an organization yep. that produces something so you've got people in manufacturing and the layers of you know hierarchy in manufacturing they distribute that product you've got a logistics team going on and a retail presence so you've got lots and lots of different frontline personas within the one organization they don't all need the same tools and services there's some that are common so how do you build an experience around those common elements but allow the customization as well. And I think that's where, you know, we're doing some great stuff to really try and bring that together, both for customers to understand, but, but ultimately so that that frontline worker has an actual cohesive experience that makes sense for their role. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I, I think that's another thing that, that, that I've seen over the years, right. Is that, you know, number one, you know, as you said, they may, a worker may have, you know, two, three, five, maybe even more applications, but even those individual applications, you know, they're very highly transactional in nature in many ways. And so, but they haven't really been designed to help facilitate the, the, the user themselves, right? They haven't been designed with that experience in mind, right? It seems like that's one of the areas that frontline has been left behind, right? We, we talk about, you know, the devices that we use and the applications we use, there is a tremendous focus on the user experience, but there hasn't really been that focus on the user experience for frontline. It's almost been like, here you go, this is what you're using, right? And by the way, we may not change it for the next 10 years. <laughs> I think that the other part of it too that, you know, I think we're sort of starting to see as well because it, it is relatively new for many organisations to really start to kind of focus. I think lots have always had lots of technology out there, but it's always been, again, quite fragmented, quite niche point style solutions that um, the other challenge that can come up too is how do you keep everyone in the same, under the same umbrella? And so, you know, we've, we've certainly worked with organisations where they've made a decision for, you know, their people working out in their frontline roles that's actually then created an even bigger silo and put them on a different island to their knowledge workers. And you know, knowledge workers need to be able to communicate and share content and requests for tasks and activities and they get feedback from things that are happening at the front line. If you essentially build two different islands for them, you've then got to try and bridge. And so it's some of these things that as we work with organisations and they're like, oh, hang on you really start to see how it all comes together. And, and, you know, it really is one big ecosystem. You can't think about your frontline as an extension. And I think the, the community in an organisation that we deal with the most that I think gets this is, you know, they come by different, different titles and different organisations, but essentially it's the uh, people and culture, internal communications, corporate affairs group, you know, the people that mm -hmm. are often the custodian of culture because they really want to be able to engage everybody. So literally from you know, if it's the top floor to the shop floor to, to get everybody across. And they're often the ones with the biggest set of challenges about how can we engage in, they truly want two-way communication with people. And I think a lot of it starts there and they're like, well, you know, and, and very commonly they're like, oh, well, we're going to use this tool. And someone else is like, oh, well, we'll use this one. And, and then you've got this fragmentation starting again. Yeah. And it, it is a difficult hurdle for a lot of companies because, you know, again, I think a lot of things that maybe they've put in place have been primarily designed for that knowledge worker group. And they say, oh, it would be great to use this, right? But, you know, so take something, I think you talked about like culture or even HR, right? Which is, okay, maybe we've got a, a learning, learning experience platform or learning management platform, right? But that has been designed, right? At least the, the, the delivery of that content has been designed and that communication is designed for that knowledge worker, right? So now you've got to say, okay, yes, we may want to leverage the same systems. We want to make every all this information accessible to all of our workers. But we also have to think, as you said, Sally, which was how do we think about the experience, how they need to consume that information, get that information differently? And, and I imagine that's a challenge that everybody is struggling with now. Very much so. And, and it, again, is uh, I like to think of things as onions, so many layers to it, communications, mm -hmm. many layers, but even just access, you know, is it, again, depending on, on what the, the tool is, does that have sensitive customer information? Should they only be able to access it when they're actually at a work site? Do they, don't they use their personal device? So there's some things 
that it absolutely makes sense for them to be able to access through a personal device like their schedule and to be able to message, you know, their colleagues, hey, I need to swap a shift or can you pick this up or, you know, that sort of communication that needs to happen versus, you know, is it, you know, is it an official work thing and therefore I, I must have a work provider device and, you know, there's lots of different layers about how complex it is when people start to think about, okay, we're going to enable our frontline. Even, even thinking from a change perspective, you know, what's the most cool first case to start with? Um, because, again, if you just threw all the capability out there at once, you know, any change practitioner will tell you, don't, don't overwhelm everybody all at once. So, again, what's that logical order? Where's that sort of two-way give-get? What's in it for the actual frontline to get them to do something different versus what's the actual return to the business of starting with this particular use case? So it, it's um it's a fun space to be in because there's lots of different um, complexities when you start to think about it programmatically. How do you deliver these services you know, right down to what's the way that they're going to be able to you know connect? And this yeah. is where we see a lot of different anxieties or um, challenges for different parts of the business and very often it's almost like a two speed you know anyone that's in the sort of technology teams where we can potentially be going well hang on slow down security and compliance and different parts of the business are like well, we've got a business objective we just have to get this done you know particularly pandemic you know communicate we've just got to throw something out there so we can do it because we've lost our you know our verbal chain of, um, of relaying information and the the lens that different parts of the business will look at this from a different as well. You know, if you're thinking operations, they'll be looking at, hey, we're going to be able to reduce labor costs. or there's going to be, you know, improvements for our people's well-being because we're going to be able to, you know, deliver better content. From technologists, they could be sitting here going, well, hang on, if we're going to put another 20,000 people in here, what about password resets and you know, mm -hmm. protecting our information? And again, it's a very different lens and conversation to have. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, and what we found is even, it's very interesting. I mean, it, it, you know, because it, it raises that question like, okay, well, how do we even, we don't even have these people on email, right? So we've seen, you know, a ton of, you know, that they don't have an ability, you know, they don't have single sign-on capabilities, they don't have email, you know, um, they may have devices, but in many cases, they're not personal devices, right? They're shared devices. So it raises all those questions, right? And, and so, you know, like you said, I think there are a lot of potential bottlenecks that are, are preventing um, organizations from effectively doing this, even as much as they want to. Right. Um, yeah. So it, it I, I think you're raising some, some really, really good points. So I, I want to talk a little bit about your, your, uh, your homeland a little bit and, and where you are. Cause I know a lot of people, you know, they obviously know Australia, but to, to a lot of people, it's just this big place. So where are you in Australia? Right now, I'm in Tasmania, which okay. if you look at a good map, um, <laughs> it will be the little island at the bottom. It's one of our bugbears. Sometimes Tasmania is left off the map of Australia, but it's the little island state at the bottom. Um, we, you might have heard of a Tasmanian devil. Of course, have yes. Tasmanian devils, but they don't look like the Warner's Brothers uh, Tasmanian devil at all. But they do make a similar sort of noise. So that's that's where I am right now. And and is that where you're originally from as well? I, I am. So I am taking advantage of being what I call myself a COVID refugee. I am normally based in Melbourne for work, but uh, Melbourne also has the dubious honour of being the world's most locked down city. Um, so I was quite fortunate to get out at, at one point before we locked down again um, and have been able to uh, relocate to my home state for a extended period. I will be going back to Melbourne. Our office has opened again, so we'll be going back after Christmas. But uh, it's been great to be able to be in a different uh, different place. That's great. That's great. So tell me a little bit about your path. One of the things I like to, to, to ask some of our guests is, what was your path to innovation, to where you are? So how did... How did Sally get into, you know, kind of this this interest? And obviously you're passionate about it, about kind of the frontline worker in, in this space. Yeah, I think it's it's uh it's probably a combination of um of things. Like if I even if I think back to when I was at uni, I've I did a, a technical degree, but but found I was a lot better at what technology could do for you versus mm. coding. And I had a really good learning during my honours year, which is that technology for technology's sake isn't necessarily a good thing. And I did a, my thesis I was looking at was um, showing my age back in the early days of online payment systems. And I compared two different uh, customers. One was selling fishing lures, which are 
non-perishable, very small, and able to be posted, and there's a global audience for them. And the other was trying to sell chocolate mud cakes, uh, which is perishable and doesn't transport very easily. Um, and it was really interesting because they're both using the same platform and one was like, this is brilliant. And I was like, oh, that's not really working for me. And, and again, it's like, is it the technology or what you're trying to do with it? Um, and interesting because I've ended up in Frontline, but at the time and, you know, from school and even when I was at uni and probably for the first couple of years when I had a, a real job, um, I worked at McDonald's. So I think I spent probably seven years working at McDonald's, started as crew, crew trainer, manager, shift scheduler, all the things in the role that I do today that just makes so much sense about, you know, the pain and frustration around particularly the operational inefficiencies of scheduling, um, having been someone who scheduled for a couple of years there. Mm. Um, but in between um, uni and, and now, I worked for a large telco company. I spent a lot of time actually in account management and sales management and really enjoyed the aspect of how technology could help organisations. Um, and I found that I was getting a little away from the solutioning part, being in sales management, uh, retra well, studied, um, did a master's and focused on complex project management because I wanted to get back to the, to the people aspect. And that's where I found people change management. So I took a bit of a, a career change, uh, went and worked for an organization for a few years um, between that one and Microsoft, where we were doing a lot of um, business process transformation. So it was consolidating you know, finance and HR and payroll from what had been 20 separate businesses as they were coming together from one. So really great to actually go work in a customer because um, I often worked for vendors. Really get an understanding about how do all those different functions work? How do they come together, especially as you're trying to consolidate? Uh, and then I found my way into Microsoft and was lucky to work in what we had a customer success unit, which is, again, all about how do you help people with technology and what's what can technology do to help your organisation? So I've always uh, believed that technology is an enabler, um, but technology for technology's sake isn't the answer either. So it's what's the right solution for the particular circumstances and everyone's circumstances is going to be different. So I'm, a, I think, a natural problem solver, and I like to understand things, um, and I like to help people. And so I find, I think, my way into this role coming from a strong kind of change, understanding use cases, what works, what doesn't, um, and again, just that really desire to how can we actually make a difference, and where does technology have a play in that role? Yeah, that's great, Sally. And obviously, you've lived it. You know, personally, being you know having kind of been on the front line for a bit, you know, and yeah certainly sounds that you have this passion to really kind of understand the people. And, and that was kind of the challenge that you kind of highlighted early on in our conversation here, which was, you know, that they're, they just want to be understood. So talk to me a little bit. I mean, how do you do that? Right. Or how do you help your customers do that? What some advice that you have to kind of say, Hey, here's how you really understand what's happening um, on, on your front line. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in seeing is believing. Um, and I, I recently worked with um, a large organisation and, and one of the challenges that they were having was actually getting their executives to understand what was happening in, in their retail environment, their stores, and a, a particular aspect of something and, and literally how much time it was taking. It was one of my pet hobbies, which is scheduling, again, the scars of my McDonald's days coming through. And so we actually did some videoing and showed them, like, how do you think this works when someone needs to swap a shift or calls in late at the last minute? And, you know, by being able to show with, you know, a video and they were just like, oh, really? You're like, yeah, this is, this is a massive overhead, but it's a hidden cost. Um, and so I think it's sometimes it's about exposing what are those sort of hidden costs to the business that are actually just really painful for the people that work in the business as well. Some of the things that we sometimes just accept and take for granted. Um, so I think there's a that, that understanding really comes from just asking lots of questions. If you can, if you can go and spend a day. One of my favorite jobs I used to do when I was in account management was ride-ons. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been on fishing trawlers and through mining processes. And when you actually see it with the person that understands it, you can ask questions. And, and I'm a firm believer there's there's no dumb questions, just you see something ask it's a phenomenal the things you go what's that for and they're like oh you get a great story i think oh really or even just being in the environment and you see things posted on walls like what's important here what's going on how so how do you actually find out about that oh well you know either double explain someone tells us oh i don't know i don't really pay attention to it okay so you, know, you get a feel for how things actually work you know if you've got the opportunity to go out and, and see it and engage with it but i think Asking lots of questions is a really good um, place, and especially if you've already assumed 
what you think it looks like if you've done that before or you've been in that situation before, is it exactly the same? Because, again, I can walk into two organisations that, you know, on paper would look like they're the same business, but they're not because that's where the cultural element comes into play. And that has such a huge bearing on communications. And from a change perspective, communications is just core. So if you can't understand how those bits work, that's really going to help things along the track. So that's that if you can, go and see it. Go and ask the people what works for you, what doesn't. Yeah, I, I, answers. I think that's tremendously important. And, and you know, the, the and I think, you know, it's part of that, um, what you talked about earlier, which is kind of understanding because, I think a lot of times, you know, technology has been pushed down to the front line or change, whatever it is, if it's technology, whatever it is, communicate, it just gets pushed down. And, you know, a lot of times these, these workers don't feel like they're being heard. And from my experience, our experience at Skillful, especially, we, we try to do a lot of ride-alongs as well, because yeah. you find they're you know, most people on the front line, most people in general, but I think especially employees on the front line are very willing to talk, right? Very willing because they feel like, oh, finally, somebody is asking me questions, right? Finally, somebody wants my opinion, right? And is really trying to understand me, as you kind of talked about earlier. Yeah, I had a really important learning. Uh, it was a project I was working on. It's probably 12 months ago now, actually. And I was in my success manager role and, you know, a team was asking me, can you come and, you know, show some people this stuff? And, you know, we've, we've sort of done it, but they don't seem to kind of get how it works for them. And I was like, okay. So rather than what I call the show up and throw up, I like to go say, hey, what do you know? What, you know, help me help you. Um, and I got a really strange answer. It's like, oh, we, you know, they were asking some very, what I thought was really basic stuff. And I'm like, I know someone's showing this. So I was like, okay, so there's something else here. So I was like, help me. Can I, can I understand why that's, why is that important? Like, because I'm like, it, it does that. How do you use it today? And then I got shown this whole system and I was like, oh, that looks very different. Now, because we've actually taken the time to go and look what you've got rather than just let me show you what I've got. Um, the things that came out from that were really, really enlightening. And again, so much of it came back to communications. You know, one of the things that um, really stood out to me was this was a comms team I was working with and they had a process where they were trying to communicate how do you put a, a spider wire like a security device on an electronic toothbrush box and coming back to the sort of challenges of language and literacy it was taking them between 11 and 12 pages of photos and text to actually communicate this and so it was this long text heavy pictures what video on a phone 11 or 12 seconds everyone's like oh i get that so really sort of stepping into that world and go well, this this con's like yes you can text and you can do this what are you trying to do and you see those things and go oh well actually there's a whole other set of capability or, or things that you might want to consider if this is the type of stuff you're trying to do because i can see why that's not going to work for you but we hadn't asked that question before show me what do you do today yeah and then all I, of a sudden it's like wow okay i get it yeah. And I think it goes back to the whole thing is how do we really tailor that message to the front line? What's the best way to kind of communicate? I also think this is a great transition to something I want to kind of ask you specifically, which is, you know, we, we all we hear the term digital transformation. It's widely used, right? Perhaps overused. I don't, you know, depending on your perspective, but, um, you know, the fact of the matter is transformation means change. Right. And, and so if it's not managed effectively, then those digital transformation initiatives are kind of bound to fail. Right. So I, I'd love to kind of get your perspective because I know you've worked with uh, uh, so many companies, but what have you seen that has been effective when it comes to change management for digital transformation projects? What have you seen that has maybe led to disaster, failure, however you may want to call it? Yeah, let's, let's start with the good ones first. I think that the elements of, of a good transformation, probably some of the things I've been talking about, you know, really communicate, but really understand to begin with what it is that you're actually trying to achieve and, and how is it going to come together. So, um, you know, that's really about involving, you know, who are the people who are going to be impacted, understanding, you know, what's your current state, what's your 2B state, what's the delta, and what is that actually going to mean for the people that are going to be impacted by the change, but also getting their feedback, you know, how... If you can, any kind of, you know, uh, proof concept, prototype, you know, can you can they kind of touch, feel, see it, you know, play with it a bit, get that feedback. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, great sort of story of an airline that was redesigning their planes 
And they actually, you know, they'd done all the, you know, this is how we're going to lay out the galley and uh, and then kind of last minute they were like, oh, we should ask some of the air hostesses, what do they think about this? Oh, bad. I had to go back and redesign the whole thing. And they're like, you, you should have asked us about this. They had things in like all the wrong spots and it was just, you know, fortunately they did before they actually commissioned it say, could you tell us what you think? But if they'd involved them in that process a whole lot earlier, they would have saved, A, a lot of time. They would have, you know, the, the cost associated with redesign, those sorts of things. So I think engaging the people that are going to use the service or solution early on in the process to sort of get their feedback, you know, especially if it's something like that that's going to involve a physical space that people are going to be working in or a tool that, you know, is a tool of trade for them. How do you, how do you engage in that process? Um, the... There's always, I think, an element of how do you engage people. So the, the, the classic what's in it for them, particularly if there's any anxiety around, you know, is this going to result in me getting less hours or does my job go away? If it's, you know, the dreaded automation, what does that mean? So being really, I think, transparent on what it actually does mean. And if it, if it does have impacts on the workforce, be upfront about it and call it out. Because I think we've seen lots of examples where, um, there's either been anxiety and that has absolutely not been what the, the the outcome has been, but they've lost good people along the way because they've just gone, well, if this is coming, I'll leave anyway. Um, so being transparent about what those sort of impacts are going to be. Um, I think on the other side, the things that haven't been done well is, is exactly that. Don't communicate well. Um, leave it up to people to make assumptions about things. And, and, you know, some of them will. They'll make rash decisions and I'll think, oh, you know, this 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 is the fear and anxiety can really play on some people. So they'll make decisions, you know, I'm better to jump than get pushed, for example. Um, I think there's also, you know, the opportunity for, you know, the, the key benefits to be lost, you know, by trying to, you know, be a little subtle about what's coming in. Um, and I think the, the final one is if not engaging people in, you know, what's the outcome, what's expected of them, you know, especially if it's something that isn't avoidable, like you will have to do this on this date. Um, making sure people have got time to, to do the learning and the training and, and build that in. You know, I see lots of change programs, particularly with like places like contact centres, for example, and people who are much on hours, they might only have like two hours a month that's there for training. So mm. anything they need to know needs to be really crisp, really concise and actionable and good resources that are going to help them afterwards. But be mindful of things like language, literacy and disability in any kind of written style communications that you're preparing, you know, videos, with subtitles or languages, you know, things that are, can be really sort of powerful communication aids. We start to see some, I'm going back into the good things, some great examples of using like QR codes to bring up information, mm. videos and things far more dynamic than the kind of static poster in the tea room. The poster's there, but there's a QR code. You get a video. There's so much more you can convey through video that um, you can't through sort of written or just words, you know, pictures alone. But the comprehension, all the studies show that your ability to comprehend something that you saw on a video is a lot higher and your retention far higher than what you read or see as pictures. So you know, the more you can put into you know, an effective and open accessible communication um, channel, I think there's, there's a lot of positives that come through there. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it, this is um, something I really want to kind of dig in a little bit more on because I think you talked about this upfront communication is, is very critical, you know, involving, um, you know, getting that feedback, getting that buy-in early on, right? It's not just the feedback, but it's saying, okay, we're getting the buy-in from the team because they're participating in the design of it. Um, and then you talked about this transparency and transparency to kind of alleviate kind of anxiety, right? Which I think is something that we've heard, I think we've heard a number of times on, on this podcast and, and it's one of these things that often goes overlooked, I think a lot, which is just, listen, any change raises anxiety, right? Um, I think technology change, especially because it's, it's, A, is this going to, you know, are they going to be expecting me to, to produce so much more with this? Are they tracking me, you know, with this technology? Is this technology going to replace me? Am I going to figure out how to use it? And if I don't, am I going to lose my job, right? As, as, as a result of it, I think that's really important. And then you were kind of alluding to certain, you know, kind of technologies. And I'd love to kind of dig in on that a little bit, because, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about, and obviously at Skillful, this is a big focus for us, but it's, you know, okay, if those users can effectively adopt technology or embrace the technology, then, then the, the project or the program is, is bound to, 
to to fail, right? Or at least never realize the uh, the aim of it to the first place. Have you seen companies kind of adopting technology? Are you promoting technologies to help them in the communication and the adoption during the change management process itself? Yeah, yeah, lots of it. Um, not surprisingly, a lot of it's in the Microsoft platform. Yep. Um, but you know, we we certainly see, especially when it comes to engaging with with frontline workers. You know, and I'm, I'm a bit of an anti-email kind of a person because I don't think it's a particularly effective two-way communication method. Um, but looking at you know how you engage and use you know, all those sorts of I guess it's what I'd call the, the the communicators toolkit you know if you've got a site if someone wants to proactively go and look at information you know you've got the still use your verbal cascading if those channels are still available to you because that's where people are used to consuming or receiving information so absolutely use those um, i think one of the most effective um, channels for change style communications is actually um, a champions network so peers mm. you know i think that's um, one should never underestimate the power of actually receiving a message from someone you know, you work with and you, you respect that, you know, if they're on board with this, it should be a good thing. You know, so actually getting those um, champions of change within your business, um, also fantastic for two-way because they live and breathe it, what's working, what's not, what's resonating, um, where are the likely points of resistance going to come from so you can plan from those before you hit them. Um, Lots of different ways I mentioned before using things like QR codes and linking to videos, big advocate for using video um, for all those sort of challenges around communication, but also just how much you can convey in a two minute video or a one minute video versus how many pages of text does that look yeah. like. Um, but also being um, you know, very much multi-channel. So how are you getting something out via, via text, but is that text linking to videos and different things to sort of bring in um, you know, different mediums as well as the print and the verbal. So, you know, the, the classic kind of change um, theory will tell you you need to tell someone five to seven times about a change before they actually can take it on board. You know, I tend to be probably the, the other end of it because I'm also busy. So I appreciate that the people that I'm trying to communicate with, telling them once, is <laughs> that's not enough, at least five to seven times. And it's not just me telling you five to seven times, multimodal is it text message is it there are visuals somewhere in their workspace is someone that they know and respect communicating that to them as a peer as well as they're hearing it from a manager so it's it's all these sort of different um you know channels that you've got available to you and just make sure that you're hitting all of them and, and be very deliberate in your communication channel about who communicates what with what frequency um through which channel as well yeah and i think it's that also that you know you talk about this you know these people are extraordinarily busy Right. They've got, you know, uh, you know, they don't have the flexibility to say, oh, yeah, I can spend, you know, a couple hours kind of learning this thing. Right. So it's that re repetition, which is very important, but also the ability to provide them those resources. So when they've said, OK, I remember hearing something about that. Now I've got to kind of go back and, and understand. And and now I'm in the field and on my own and, and I've got to kind of uh, really be able to kind of grasp that when I need. I think that's very important, too. Right. That, yeah. that ability to support them at kind of the moment of need, if you will. Very much. And I, I see an increasing use of things like chatbots, um, mm -hmm. you know, text-based things to, you know, for people to be able to go, hey, what's this? Because, you know, we can't retain everything, particularly as adult learners. You know, we, I think that's the other thing that I probably should call out is really acknowledge adult learning styles. You know, you sort of hit a certain age and your, your days of being able to sit in a classroom for a prolonged period of time, consume a whole lot of content and then remember it two months later, let alone two weeks later, really diminishes with age and the longer you spend in the workforce. Because it's just not how we do things. We don't focus for long periods of time. So that that just-in-time access to the learning at the time that you need it. And, you know, chatbots for how do I, what's the, where's the, you know, they are fantastic as a resource. You can run them 24-7, you know, get your champions to tell you what are all the things you're hearing. You can pre-populate a lot of that content and just make it really accessible. And, you know, it can be quite a private way. I'm not really sure, but I've got this chatbot I can ask. Mm -hmm. So even if they've got anxiety, it can be a private way to access that information. I don't have to ask their manager or a peer. It's about making it available. It can also just be practical. You know, many frontline roles operate 24-7. It's 3 o'clock on a Saturday morning. The help desk probably isn't there for them but a chatbot could be. Um, so some of those sorts of technology, we really see playing a, a key role in being able to make information easily accessible again through um, a mechanism that's quite low cost and effective to be able to have quite a broad reach. Yeah, you made this very subtle point there that I think is a really important one, right? Which is, hey, you know, 
I mean, I can talk to this chat bot and there's no judgment, right? From the chat bot, if you will, right? And, and I feel comfortable with that in, in some ways. It's one of the things we've seen, right? You, you talked about adult learning styles and just the classroom environment, for example, which has been used in the past, right? And um, we've, we've heard from a lot of, a lot of workers are saying, yeah, I, I just, I don't like that environment, right? One is, maybe I'm embarrassed to raise my hand, right? You know, uh, and say, I don't really understand what's going on, right? Because I don't want to be, you know, seen among my peers as stupid or, you know, slowing everybody down, whatever that may be. Um, and, and giving them the, the, the tools that, that they can learn, right? That they can understand things in their own way, right? Because it's not just, you know, you mentioned adult learning styles, which I think is great. But even within that, like everybody has a different style of learning, right? Whether yeah. it's visual, visual or, or, or more auditory learning styles. So I think it's very important. And I do think technology can, can help. I mean, we certainly believe it, but you know, that technology can be an, a powerful tool to kind of ease that anxiety as you kind of alluded to earlier as well. Yeah. And I saw a great um, program I worked with a couple of years ago. It was um, with an organisation that had a large field workforce and you know, they were kind of faced with a challenge. You talk about digital transformation. Their kind of challenge in this particular aspect was ageing workforce, many facing retirement age, mm-hmm. ageing infrastructure, no documentation. So the people that know about it just know how to fix it because they've been fixing it for 40 years. Right. It's this, instit- it's this institutional knowledge, right? That's in people's Very heads. Much. Yeah. Yeah. And so what they did was a really effective program of um, kind of Vox Pop videos from the field for the field. And they're unedited. You pull this one out here, you put that over there. This is going to make a funny buzzy noise. That's okay. Ignore that. What's all that stuff that the tech knows? He's not going to sit and write it in a manual, but you know what? The next guy that comes along, he doesn't want to sit and read a manual either. Here's a video of the guy that did it before. Younger generation, very happy to consume content YouTube style. Um, you know, and with the, the kind of platforms these days, it's really easy to search video libraries and pull up, you know, mm-hmm. the model number, blah, blah. Here's the four videos. Which one? What are you trying to do to it? Pick your video. Oh, is that how it works? Problem solved. Because in, in many roles, you know, that trying to access support is is also you, you might be out by yourself you know we, we think of lots of frontline yes. worker roles in places like hospitals and no. you know supermarkets and things but there's lots of people working like field service roles that they're by themselves you know they, they can't turn around and ask the person next to them because that's the customer and they don't know yeah and i think that's one of the biggest anxieties we've heard which is listen if I, i'm going to be alone right at some point i'm going to be on my own whether that I'm literally in the, in, in the middle of nowhere or I'm down in a basement trying to f- fix a piece of machinery or I'm alone in front of a customer. I'm trying to deliver product and I'm alone in front of a customer. I, I'm not going to have somebody's shoulder to tap on, right? To, to ask them a question. And if I don't get it right now, I'm, you know, I'm going to negatively affect that customer experience. I'm going to be embarrassed, right? Yep. And I, I think, and, and I, I love this, this notion that you kind of talked about, which is trying to capture that institutional knowledge, right? And I think, you know, that generational shift that's happening in that workforce, I think for both sides of it, it's so beneficial, right? Because I think it also can provide a role for, you know, workers who are, you know, maybe trying to wind down, right, to kind of, they're, they're ready for retirement, but maybe this gives them another role, right, which says, okay, you're going to be kind of our institutional we want to leverage your knowledge and maybe you're kind of the ask the expert, if you will, but helping kind of digitize some of this stuff. And then, you know, for that next generation coming up, coming aboard, right. They are, you know, they're trying to catch up to 25 years of experience, right. And replace somebody with 25, 30 years of experience. And obviously that can't happen overnight. So I, I think that's a wonderful example you just gave. So. Yeah. And it, it doesn't even have to be super sophisticated. Yeah. Like I say, they're literally out there with their own mobiles recording the stuff. No, I mean, the less sophisticated, the better, right? Because the more yeah. sophisticated it is, it's just not going to happen. So you have to make it easy, right? To do that. Yeah. So it makes it really accessible as well. Yeah. One of the things, Sally, I really like to, I, I like to kind of uh, wrap with um, a lot on these calls is um, kind of a, a two, another two-sided question, which is obviously you've been working in and around technology for, for quite some time. Um, what is it that you love about working in technology and what is it that you don't like so much? Uh, I like the possibility. Uh, I mentioned before, I like to be able to solve problems. And I think there's, 
you know, as we solve one lot of problems, you get another lot, the technology gets better, you, you've, there's always opportunities to do more with it. And I think that there's so much, particularly in the areas of accessibility, that's, you know, just opening up new opportunities for both people and organisations. And I think it's, it's a phenomenal enabler. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of technology. Um, you know, one of the things that we sort of focus on Microsoft, particularly when we think about frontline workers, is really there's kind of three words that encapsulate it. And I think that, that, that it's all there. There's, you know, for, for frontline workers, it's all about flexibility, knowledge, and purpose. And you know, I think technology really enables all of those things for people in areas where we haven't traditionally been thinking about that or had the tools and mechanisms to be able to enable those things so that that flexibility knowledge and purpose I think you know for me my my love of technology is because it lights up those things um the thing that I don't like about it is uh anyone who's uh, seen me do live demonstrations is like <laughs> never work with animals small children or technology uh, because sometimes the technology gods aren't kind to you when you want to do something it's like come on um so I think it's you know, it's not, it's not perfect. Um, but, it, you know, it's kind of, it's not human either, but it's got some characteristics. It's like, you know, I have good days and bad days too. Sorry. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's a great way to wrap it up actually, because it's like, you know, your frustration is just like many of the frontline worker frustrations, which is like this technology doesn't work when I need it to work. What's going on? You know, so I think we've all experienced that for better or for worse. So Sally, I really appreciate you um, taking the time today. I really appreciate you, um joining us from the far side of the world in the middle of the night um thank you very much for that um people if they want to if, if folks listening or audience want to kind of get in touch with you linkedin uh sally Fay is a great way to do it um i, I will put a link to uh microsoft's kind of frontline um uh the uh, frontline group um so they can learn more about that um and again i really want to thank you for your time and um uh, really, really enjoyed our chat. Yeah, same here. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right, let's uh, wrap it up here. Um, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And a reminder, this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Uh, you can visit the Skillful website at skyllful.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. Until then, see you on our next episode.